So, this morning we're honored to have Pastor Bob Hoy as our guest preacher once again. Those of you in the sanctuary are wondering, okay, where is he? Uh, You may have seen in the news that the metro Detroit area had over seven inches of rain Friday night and that resulted in flooding that basically shut down the city's freeway system. You know, when when he realized that he was not going to get out of Detroit, Bob sent us an email uh, late yesterday morning. The title of the email said May Day. Um, it's not a comforting email for me to receive, I'm not going to lie. Bob, Bob graciously took the time uh, to video his sermon. And thanks to technology, we have a way forward with a message that he has already prepared for us. So if you were not with us two weeks ago, uh, you're going to enjoy Bob. Bob has served as a pastor for many years. Most recently, Bob served at Messiah Church in Detroit for over 19 years. Bob actually brought that congregation into the covenant denomination. Bob's a friend of Pastor Stacy, Pastor Jordan, and myself. Another connection is that many of you know our, our youth groups have taken mission trips to Detroit and to the area that's right around Messiah Church. And that's essentially Bob and Evelyn's backyard. So let's welcome back virtually... Pastor Bob Hoy. Good morning, ECC Lafayette. I'm uh, very happy to be virtually with you this morning. I'm disappointed that I'm not there in person, as Evelyn and I had the chance to be a couple of weeks ago. When we woke up, uh, when we were wakened this morning at 3.30 uh, in the morning, We had four feet of water in our basement, both of our cars on the street, submerged. I actually, this is not a joke, I actually caught three fish in front of my house this morning that were all keepers. The biggest was a large bass about this big. And so it was a crazy day and I spent till noon trying to find a way to drive to Lafayette, but it just wasn't going to be. I am grateful for my friend Alex Rahill, who is able to film today's teaching so that I can be with you. So uh, thanks be to God for that. This is your uh, third teaching in a series, Center of All Things. And let me say with great confidence that Jesus is the center of all things. You had the opportunity to hear that great text last week that everything is created by him and for him and is flowing to him. And so I'm going to get right into the text. You've had it read this morning from the 24th verse of Colossians chapter 1 through the fifth verse of chapter 2, and let's get into it. The Apostle Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. I want to take some time with this statement. And I think I want to talk about the second part first. So what in the world does Paul mean when he says, I fill up what remains of the sufferings of Jesus? Uh, We sing our hymns, Jesus paid it all. 
all to him I owe. And we believe that Jesus paid everything necessary for our ransom. But uh, part of this mystery that Colossians speaks about is that in Jesus, everything is present tense. So even though Jesus paid it all, there's still all kinds of suffering in the world. There's all kinds of sin taking place in the world. And the spirit of Jesus continues to pay it all through his people. And so the Apostle Paul, long after the death and resurrection of Jesus, states that Jesus is still paying it all through me. I'm filling up that which remains of the sufferings of Christ. So should you have the privilege to suffer, to sacrifice, to endure any ill treatment because of your relationship to Jesus, rejoice in that and recognize that's important. And never fall into the syndrome that because Jesus paid it all, it's just going to be easy street for me that uh, uh, the spirit of Jesus wants to form the character of Jesus in you and me. And so you have real issues today in your community, in your faith community, in your own personal life. And uh, part of the mystery is that you and I are invited to fill up that which remains of the sufferings of Jesus and to offer them back to him, to do it without grumbling and complaining and finger pointing and uh, all that kind of thing, but to really offer our disappointment uh, to God as that which remains of the sufferings of Jesus. The other point uh, I'd like us to consider in this verse is what does it mean to rejoice? Paul says, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Uh, we can't rejoice until we joice. And uh, it literally means find your joy again. So Paul is saying, now I'm learning to find my joy again in the circumstance I'm in. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something different than happiness. My first Bible teacher told me that happiness happens to happen when my happenings happen the way I want them to happen, which uh, is not happening a lot of the time. But joy is something else. Joy comes from God and uh, it's not even incompatible with sorrow or lamenting. So if you have known Jesus for any amount of time, and even if you're relatively new at this, uh, I say to you in the spirit of Jesus, find your joy. Find your joy again. It's there. I don't know where you put it. I don't know what happened. And every day of my life, I'm telling myself, find it, Bob. Find your joy in Jesus. Yes, you have some challenges. We, we had a lot of things important to us uh, ruined 
today in this flood. Anything we kept in the basement essentially is gone. And big problems with the furnace, washer, dryer, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's a setback and a disappointment. But at the end of the day, nobody got hurt. Neighbors pitched in and helped each other. Um, there's a lot to be grateful for. And even as I thought of mementos that were ruined in the basement, uh, I was brought to consider what are those mementos but memories of God's faithfulness to me and us in days gone by, of marvelous comrades God has given me and you. And it didn't really take that long to find my joy again. So uh, Paul will say this a lot, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Find it, find it. The second thing I want to look at is in the second chapter, in the second verse, where Paul says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. So I want to ask you to think with me for a minute. What, what does it mean to be encouraged? What does it mean to be discouraged? When we discourage somebody, we're dissing them of their courage. Uh, through our criticisms, through our complaints, we're actually weakening uh, our friends, neighbors, sisters, brothers, uh, and uh, it creates a dampening field for them being able to live out uh, who uh, they're really called to be. And when we encourage somebody, we are literally pouring courage into that person. Um, so much of our challenges in life, um, the success or failure rests on how much encouragement we receive. And um, it's a powerful thing not to be a discourager, but to be an encourager. Jesus will say, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And consequently, we see him interacting with people, uh, not highlighting their sin usually, uh, except maybe if they're a religious leader and think they have no sin, uh, but doing something to bring out uh, the best in that person. So, it may be a small thing, but in every challenge that you and I have today, we need to ask ourselves, how can I encourage uh, good things to happen instead of discourage? And also, I've learned from myself, uh, it's hard to encourage myself, but I can encourage you more easily. And I find when I encourage you, you're uh, of a mind to encourage me. And then we all get built up and strengthened. So hang on to those words about encouragement. I thought of another text today as we're considering these great words, Jesus, the center of all things. It's a familiar passage to many of you, but I'd like us to look at it from Revelation the third chapter, the 20th verse. And uh, 
This is Jesus saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's an amazing thing. So this whole mystery, and, and one of the reasons it's called a mystery in Colossians, and we call it a mystery, is we don't fully understand it. So I've been reading this word for 50 years. I still don't quite get it. If I told you I know everything this means, it would mean that I'm the Lord and Master. And let me break it down for you with everything I know. But there's something about this relationship between God and us, between Jesus and you, Jesus and me, that's uh, special and that's mysterious and is holy. So one of the mysteries is, you know, we believe in the sovereignty of God, which means God can do anything he wants to do. But we see from this Revelation text that uh, one of the things he wants to do is to, is to be a gentleman, to be respectful, to knock, and not just break down our door, to say, do you hear me? Oftentimes, when I feel a need for God, it's because he's been knocking on my door. We woke up this morning, and uh, we weren't quite sure how, but two of our neighbors told us they were knocking on our door and sending us texts. And um, so our response, which we thought originated with us, really originated somewhere else. When you're feeling the need for Jesus and to come closer to him, it's often because he's feeling that desire to come close to you. And I want to encourage every person here, don't just make it a Bible verse you memorize, but make it part of your prayer. Jesus, help me to hear you knocking. I love uh, Christina Rossetti, who's best known for children's poems. Uh, in one of her prayers, she concludes by saying, Jesus, drink of me. Drink of me. Drink of what it is to be me, Jesus, that you would know me that way. And help me to drink of you. Help me to see my circumstance from your point of view. And to center myself in that. So even though we have this uh, great invitation about Jesus living inside of us, it's still attached to an invitation that we must respond to. Behold, I stand at your door and knock. Here I am. And don't fall into thinking that we do that once. It's like the guy who gets married and says, well, we've been married for 30 years. I told her I loved her, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let her know again. Um, don't be that way in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, I find myself, even this year, more than ever saying, Jesus, teach me to love you. Teach me how. 
and teach me how to love my neighbor. Teach me how to open the door. Teach me how to hear when you're knocking. Uh, enter into this living relationship, which brings us to our central text, the 27th verse, uh, in the first chapter, where Paul says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when we read uh, that this word is coming to the Gentiles, a simple understanding of it is that these are non-Jewish people. But it's always for the newbies when it comes to being in a relationship with God. In our present-day culture, uh, many of our neighbors would call themselves nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that uh, if someone said, what's your religion, they would say none. Um, Jesus came to people, the Apostle Paul came to people who uh, honestly believed that they really weren't seeing an evidence of God, much less a God who they would owe loyalty to and devotion. And what a powerful thing it is when we find ourselves moving from, nah, I don't think so, to, oh my God, there is God in this world. There, and he's, he's amazing. Jesus is God in this world, and he dies for me, and he rises for me, and he calls to me. And somehow, he lives inside of me. He'll say in the Gospel of John, my father and I will make a home in you. I remember the first time I heard those words of Jesus, abide in me and let my words abide in you. And someone asked a very new Bible teacher what abide means. And I, I was present and I was interested in how he might answer. And he said, well, abide is the verb of the noun abode. Jesus is saying, won't you make a home in me? And won't you let me make myself at home in you? So this is a great mystery that Almighty God, the center of all things, desires to be centered in your heart and mine. I'm hoping and praying that we can grapple with this mystery. As you can see, today's title is Coming to Grips with the Mystery. What does this truly mean for you and me? And we can be professing Christians for 15, 20 years before we realize, wow, I haven't done much with this. And I focused more on obligations and duties and uh secondary things and have uh, 
not really seeing this invitation to intimacy with God Almighty. It is uh, my prayer that we grapple with this mystery and that we find ourselves rejoicing, that we find our joy again in the hope that Christ in me is my hope of glory. So even on this day when we suffered some financial setbacks and lost some uh, possessions, uh, I'm so grateful that we can't lose Jesus that way, that we can't lose the faith community that way, that the promises of God cannot be nulled and voided in that way, that the center of all things has made a home in the center of my life and that he desires for you to be able to make that home in him and for him to be able to make that home in you. This is what I have to share with you today. Once again, uh, receive my um, disappointment that I couldn't be with you in, uh, in person but uh, the word of God, heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will never pass away. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word brought to us today. Father, you are wholly good and a mystery to us, but we know that you're here with us and you're knocking at the door for us to answer and to be in relationship with you. I pray this morning that we have enough courage to open and answer that door, to meet with you, to engage with you. Lord, teach us to love you this morning. Speak to us in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.